We know the kitchen is where it all goes on. We chew the fat, make all of life's big decisions and eat straight from the tin when no one's watching. Join me, Anna Barnett, as I head straight to the heart of our guest home, where I swoon over interiors. I'm impressed by the sheer scale of a fridge and cover the most organised of freezers. We dig deep. Discuss career highs, career lows, condiment shelves and so much more. There's of course plenty of serious food chat. Each week we'll finish things off with our guests' best sandwich efforts and possibly a snoop in their fridge. Today's guest has reached a gargantuan level of success with an awe-inspiring 29 award-winning cookery books under her belt. A whopping 7 million cookery books sold worldwide with books translated into over 10 languages across the globe. From food stylist to food editor at Marie Claire Australia, then editor-in-chief of her very own magazine Empire with subscribers reaching 82 countries. Throw in several TV series which were screened in more than 17 countries, a homewares range and a collection of home baking mixes that will ensure you won't ever miss a bake sale and you've landed at today's guest. This is someone who doesn't do things by halves. Today's guest is the phenomenally hardworking, high-achieving, creator of incredible food, Donna Hay. Hi, Donna. Hi, Anna. How are you? Wow, what an intro. <laughs> I, I have written this, I have researched you, and every time I read it, I go, how on earth has this person done so much? <laughs> oh my goodness. I might, I feel like I might need to go have a lie down when you lay it all like that. <laughs> I feel like that is like, I don't know anyone that has written 29 uh, cookery books and is actually writing their their 30th. Is there anyone else? There must be. There must be. There can't be. There's just, (laughs) in my, like, I have written two cookery books and I know how, I know what that entails. And it is like, it's so much work. So I can only imagine how kind of at what pace you work at. And I mean, the books you produce are, my friends have quite um, quite a phrase. I'm either book time or non-book time. Oh, and what does what does Donna look like when she's book time? Do they see um, her? I'm, it's kind of limited <laughs> access, yeah, <laughs> and lots of late nights, early mornings. But um, yeah, there might be a sneaky kind of Sunday lunch here in between. But otherwise, they've got to wait till till book clears the deck. Is there is there any of your friends that are trusted enough to take over the Sunday lunch club? That type of thing. Well, I wish they would. <laughs> but why would they? <laughs> They're not very forward in, t- yeah. Yeah, so that's, I did get invited to a dinner party the other day and I put it on my um, Insta stories just to kind of maybe nudge them along. No, yeah, not a response to any of them. <laughs> Fell flat. Fell absolutely flat. <laughs> I'm desperate to know, um, where are you this morning? Um you're you're based in Sydney, am I right? Yeah, I'm in Sydney. I'm actually at home this morning. Um, where I work in a really open, very daylight-filled studio, and if I'm there doing a podcast, I kind of grind everything to a halt. So right. I told the girls that I would stay home and uh, let them get on with it today. We have uh, lots going on at the moment, not just the book. So. So I'm here for the morning and then I'll head into the studio a bit later. So you live right on the ocean. Am I right in thinking that? I do. It is behind me. And make, make me jealous. Tell me. Tell me. What is this kitchen set up like? Um, well, at home, um, the office is pretty beautiful. It's just a really big multi-working space. We are all together, very collaborative. So it's like it flows from our desks, our office kind of space into a meeting space, my daylight studio my filming kitchen and my kind of what has become now the Zoom kitchen and a test kitchen, huge prop room, and then kind of like a room of paints and tinkering things and overflow. And then at home, I'm really super casual. I live in a little, I live at the end of the peninsula, um, but I'm only 20 minutes from the city. And um, I live in Watson's Bay, which was traditionally the fishing village. And it still kind of feels like that now. And it it used to be a real tourist hotspot, but as you know, our borders are still fairly much shut down. So it's super, super quiet. And sometimes I feel like I live here all on my own. Is just that with quite my nice? family. <laughs> it's sort of. I guess I'm a little bit of a people person, so I kind of get over it. But I am on the edge of the harbour. I don't know. You won't be able to see because it's too bright, but the harbour bridge is just over there. And oh, you can wow. see the city. 
Um, so I'm really spoiled, really lucky. I was lucky enough to buy this house many, many years ago when people thought it was too far to live in Watson's Bay and now it's the spot. So I'm very spoiled. Amazing. And in terms of kitchens, I feel like someone that's life is so kind of within the kitchen. Um, what do, what's your kind of, what's your, what's your setup for your kitchen? I imagine you have something outside as well, or I like to imagine you have a big outdoor kitchen as well as something indoors. What, what's the kind of aesthetic? Anna, if I showed you what was happening behind me, we've had some enormous storms and flooding here yeah. just recently. And so half of my ceiling um, just over there has fallen in. No. So I desperately need to renovate. But you know what happens is that work always sort of comes first and you just think, oh, renovations, it's such a big undertaking. It's kind of like another book on top of a book. So I have yes. an outdoor kitchen here and I have a, a, a big kitchen behind me over here with lots of light, but we are set to renovate as soon as this book goes off to the printers. Okay. And what, okay, so, yeah, what's the dream kitchen setup then? I'm like Well, I'm kind of taking over most of the living space with the kitchen, but in a kitchen living sort of way because I do cook all the time and I really love cooking. I I don't say that because it's, you know, good for PR. I actually still love cooking. So my friends do come here and I'd live on the water. So you know, it, it's kind of the migration spot on the weekend. It's fabulous. Yeah. And I love that. But um, I like really, you know, I want my friends to come through and, and feel really at home. So it's been hard to renovate and design a kitchen space that doesn't feel new and shiny. And yeah. like, you have to be careful and where do I sit? So that's been um, kind of a challenge for me to not lose this kind of crumbling beach house feel because that's what makes people relax when they come in and and, yeah. and it makes those fun laughter filled special Sundays where everyone's eating and laughing and mucking around and it sort of just makes your whole week you know that that's the, the stopping point so um I'm taking over the most of the living space with the kitchen because I'm always kind of get it saying to my friends come on let's go outside let's go outside go outside and I'll be out in a minute because you know I'm not a big I don't have tons of time, so it's not like I'm pre-planning anything and, you know, I've got all this <laughs> prep done. So I'm going to be designing a big kitchen, like central bench with with my cooktop on it um, so yeah. that all of my friends can sit around because I think that's the magic of cooking and sharing food is that you're actually, you know, you're there with your friends and some of my friends will help and, and do a little bit. And so it's just a really big share space. It's not conventional, my architect still thinks that I'm mad but it's kind of the way that I like to be in my house with my friends yeah I think that's so important I'm actually we've um not long moved and are just in the process of reworking a kitchen and in fact we'd I'd actually not long I'd actually not done it so long ago maybe like two and a half three years ago in our last place so now I'm kind of like second time round in quite quick succession and trying to work out like at this whole new space you need to figure out the light the kind of Ultimately, you know that whatever you do, people will come to your home and they will gravitate to the kitchen. So the like everything just has to, you know, there's I'm kind of really explaining to my husband, you know, everything just has to really center around the kitchen. <laughs> and like, yeah, you know, the island needs as many seats as possible. Oh, the, like you, the cooktop, the hob in the island. Like I, it's totally, he's just like, are we making this kitchen for everybody else that's going to come to our home or is this for us? And like, they are, they are part of our yeah, home. You know, it's they're as important. Of us. Totally. You started your career out as a food stylist. I have to say that kind of thinking back, you know, I've just, I, for, for such a large proportion of my life, I did not know that that was even a vocation. I didn't know that you could kind of work as a food stylist. I didn't know it existed as a job. <laughs> um, I obviously do now. Um, like how, how did, how did you kind of discover the world of food styling? How, how did you kind of that materialize into a full-time job? You were 19 talk me through it oh gosh that's a long time ago and I am I am professionally trained just not as a chef there was this really strange course that I stumbled upon um and it was part it was right next to the fashion school in Australia which has um kind of turned out amazing talent like Zimmerman's and Alex Perry and oh, wow. really great Australian fashion talent so it's this kind of old sandstone jail that um, houses all the all the creative courses from 
it does have a chef school there, but um, the fashion school, the art school there is incredible. But it's part of an old jail, so it's really sandstone. It's kind of half creepy, half magical. Right. And then they had a food school there, which taught sort of like food science and all the kind of traditional French and British techniques of basic cooking as we don't have our own cooking identity still here in Australia um, and how to write a recipe. It was really such a strange course when I look back, but so no wonder we're having trouble, you know, feeling I'm having trouble filling people behind me in the industry. It just doesn't exist anymore. And there was yeah. an element of recipe writing and photography and stuff. So I kind of came out knowing how to write a recipe. So I actually did start my career um, like assisting food stylists, but really developing recipes as well. Um, yeah. And then I just, I just loved the magic of creating. I love creating a recipe and then taking it all the way through to a picture. I still really struggle styling um, other people's recipes. I was asked to last year because our studios were open. Um, and I still, after all these years, still struggled starting someone else's creation. Really? Um, and it off. Yeah. So it was just, you know, there, were, there's, there wasn't, as you said, you haven't heard of it. There's not many jobs that, you know, there's, it's a freelance industry. It's hard to support yourself. So I just thought, well, I don't want to do anything else. And I actually am not qualified to do anything else. I'll, I'll end up sitting in a doctor's reception checking in patients because I just have no other skill and I don't, I'm, I just didn't feel like I was good at anything else. So I just thought, okay, well, I'm going to have to be the best food stylist assistant and the best person on set and the most hardworking if I'm going to get all the gigs because you're freelance, you know, you're only as yeah. good as your last job. So I just really, really put my head down. And by doing that and trying to jump into industry, I met other girls my age who were interiors assistants and fashion assistants and just a really great creative gang that really shaped my world when I was younger. And I just, I don't know, it was, I just feel really fortunate that I was just part of this super creative can-do, pooled our money to share our petrol money to go and get props and eat. And <laughs> I would say food offset. We were so poor. <laughs> I just feel like that must feel like a complete world away to where you are now. Could you ever envisage that things would, you know, I turn out as enormously successful? You know, your your career has just been, I, I genuinely can't quite believe it when I read through. I'm just like, this is I can't believe incredible. it either. And I think that's <laughs> the way that your brain is hardwired when you work on deadlines of magazines and publications is that, you you never look you, you're not trained to look back your brain is hardwired to process and go again to yeah. change and to do something better and better and better and different so unfortunately when people rattle off what i've done it always comes to a surprise to me because it's not the way my brain is wired when you work on so many deadlines you you're always pitching forward and there's never time to sit back and go wow and i think we did a really great job of that and that cover was sensational sales are going through the roof isn't it fabulous i really love that because it's always what's next and it's yeah. always can you do better so unfortunately i have a hardwired forward-thinking brain of let's go what's next so i, I mean amazingly so <laughs> yeah sometimes and celebrate but other times yeah, it's just been too many years to be wired that way. And I see it in my friends too. Yeah, um, of course. They're chasing, chasing something. And do you ever take time off? Do you, like, I, I just hearing you talk like that, I'm wondering how do you relax? Do you have other hobbies? Yeah, I do. I do. We have a really strict policy of work hours. Um, you know, I kind of by 5.30, quarter to 6, 6 o'clock at the latest, everyone's out. Okay. the office um yeah i i just try and i'm not really my lunch girl i'm not i just make my time in the office really work um yeah. which shortens my day yeah i'm i mean yeah just have to be effective with your time i think yeah. and smart. being a creative if you don't have time off you know if you don't make time to go for a run in the morning as much as that might be at five o'clock um you know that it it just doesn't work for my brain. My creative yeah. brain doesn't tick over. All of those kind of thoughts in my head don't file into line and, and make sense. 
I, I guess I'm curious, at which point did you know that food was kind of to be at the center of your world? Like, was there growing up? Did you adore food? Did you have an appreciation for a certain meal or, you know, did your mom cook you the Sunday lunch? Or I don't know, that's such a basic way to kind of try and understand it. I had kind of, I was more in awe of the kind of magic of food when I was a little girl. I was more captivated that you could beat egg whites and sugar and make this huge bowl of pillowy glossy meringue like I just thought that it was magic and it was yeah. the ultimate thing to be able to and my dad bought me built me a cubby house in our backyard and I have two older sisters and I remember playing there and you know we had tea sets and things but when my mum let me come into the kitchen and kind of make all that come to life for real you know it was it was just like my fairyland you could mix things together and I guess it was like mad professor you know I could just I just I found it so fascinating. And so did your did your parents, did you find that they really kind of nurtured and like no, and let you kind of run wild? Oh my gosh, that? my mother was the best. I mean, I'm not allowed to say it because still to this day she thinks she's a good cook, but she's just not. She's really, <laughs> really not. So I did a lot of the cooking from when I was younger. And when you're the third child, the girl, like the, the sisters, they would be like, you know, hey, hey, you're you're up. Like, forget it. Cut this out. And, and my dad did really quietly behind my mum too, which was so sweet. Um, so I just, I kind of, I really liked doing it. My mum would always help clean up. She wasn't afraid of the mess. You know, she wasn't fussed by it. She's pretty low key. She's really cruisy, my mum. She had a beautiful garden. Um, my grandparents had an amazing garden, huge vegetable garden. So as much as I didn't realise at the time, I was surrounded by just beautiful, fresh produce and um and a mother that was so supportive, as much as she likes to think she started my career, I think she started it by being the mother that didn't freak out about mess. Um, I just remember, you know, cooking for my dad's birthday dinner and I was allowed to use the good china and the How good How old glasses. were you? I, well, I think I was about eight or nine. And I just, I remember being able to use my mum and dad's wedding china and, and their glasses. And I did, it just all felt so special and so grown up. And, <laughs> and I was my daddy's girl. So, you know, when, when you present this seriously overcooked steak, Diane, um, to your dad <laughs> for his birthday, as I must have got it out of a cookbook, thought I was seriously cutting edge. You know, there's that, I think that love of sharing food and, and seeing people love what you cook and, and that kind of interaction of people around the table is just what I fell in love with. Yeah, I feel like that. Um, there's just nothing quite like that when you have friends, when you have all your favorite people in one place at one table sharing food that you have slaved over, that you have put everything into. I just think that there's nothing quite as special. I don't know. Like, even if you, and I, I'm terrible for this, I love to. To dinner parties and over the years I they would get bigger and bigger and birthdays there would be 35 of us and I decided I was going to do home you know five courses and one course would be homemade ravioli and I, I would do everything that would be so laborious for that amount of people and friends would come and they would have to bring their own table and chairs because we obviously didn't have yeah. enough but you you know and every year it would kind of build momentum and you'd start doing parties for other people's birthdays and I just think that that there's something about just that coming together, you know, and at the, at like beforehand, you might even be slightly annoyed with yourself more than anybody else. Absolutely. That you're just like, oh, I'm with you. Why <laughs> do I do this? It's my day off. Oh my yeah, gosh. I don't even like these people that much. You know, you yeah. start really kind yeah. of thinking it through like, oh, are they I really like her. He's not so nice. Why did we do that? How, who are we going to sit him next to? This is a disaster, Anna. What have we done? <laughs> A hundred percent. Everyone turns up, your smiles, you've left everything to last minute. You can somehow manage to pull it all together. Um, and it, you know, like there'll be a cupboard with just things thrown into it and just, and somehow you just manage kind of in the 11th hour, just pulling it all together. Yeah. Um, that's me. Um, I imagine you're much more kind of effortless than that and organized and brilliant with everything. Oh, look, I'm going to say on the rare <laughs> occasion, 
I try, I used to do the same as you and go, okay, we're having nine courses. Um, you know, this is going to be an extravaganza. I want to treat my friends. It's Easter. Like, let's do something. So I've kind of learned to pull it back a little bit because I've had some sensational failures where people, you know, have come for lunch and they've not left till, you know, 10.30 on a Sunday night. Believe it. It's <laughs> not been ready. But I don't know. My friends have this funny thing where they'll say, oh, yeah, I remember that Easter we came over and it poured with rain, but we still had lobster tails. So, they, you know, my friends mark when they come to my house by what they ate as well. Like it's a journal, like it's a memory in time, which I think is really lovely. I love that. And I, I, I definitely have that with places that I've been. I don't necessarily remember who was with me, but I remember exactly what we ate. What you ate. And, <laughs> oh, you, I didn't know you were there. Oh, I just remember oh, like the mozzarella on the lemon leaf. <laughs> yeah, like, oh God, you, that's great. Oh, it, wasn't, it was so lovely. Bad. I don't even remember the place. I just start with once I ate or once I saw, and I have no idea what country I was ever in, was I on book tour or was I on holidays? Because they're all blurred together. Yeah, I guess when you have that kind of breadth of, or that body of work, I imagine it is hard to decipher. Oh my goodness. Between. Yeah. Do you have any kind of dishes that are in high demand or that friends request repeatedly or that you kind of have as a bit of a go-to that you just know, you know, is a crowd pleaser, let's say? Well, we're just kind of in ending up summer here, which hopefully will extend itself as Sydney summers tend to do. But I started last year, I did a little digital um, festive magazine at the end of last year because, you know, why not? I must have had five minutes to spare and <laughs> had a brilliant idea. Um, and in that I did a side of salmon on a cedar plank, um, sort of partly cured, just soft cured, and then smoked on a covered barbecue. Ooh. And ever since I did that, it's kind of been on high demand with my friends. And I know I've cooked it for them at least, you know, two or three times since November of last year when I was testing out the recipe at home. But even the other day, they said, oh, are you home for Easter? And I said, yeah, yeah, well, I've got to work on my book. And they were like, oh, okay, well, it'd be great time to have that salmon <laughs> on the cedar planks again. <laughs> So they've invited themselves over. They've then asked, you know, put in their request on what they need cooking. And do they stay the night? Do you have to make up the beds? Oh, uh, no, they've kind of, I mean, I think that's the, the beauty of the introduction of Uber, isn't it? You can always yeah. pour someone into an Uber. and <laughs> So it's not the entire weekend that you're kind of left yeah. cooking for everyone. Yeah, You live and breathe food. Um, and we mentioned you're working on your 30th cookery book. How do you keep ideas fresh and innovative um, and still remain kind of as passionate as ever? Which I get the sense you really do. Yeah, I really do. I find that food follows everything from fashion trends to just world happenings and, and how the world's feeling. You can see really clear connections between um, political events and how people are feeling and to what they're eating and and where you can take them. And so, you know, the kind of thing that I'm sure happened because I was chatting with all my UK friends, I'm sure it happened to some of your friends as well, the, the zero to sourdough phase where yes. a lot of my friends who were non-cooks went from zero to sourdough, something I wasn't going to start feeding a starter every day. You know, I have children, <laughs> I have to feed them. They're my starters. Um <laughs> But how people went from really basic, like ordering in, eating out, my friends who are highly social, who really just don't have a passion for cooking, and that's fine. That's absolutely fine. You don't have to. But then from going to from nothing to sourdough, like seriously, the gap between that is just madness. And I think that part of dough and kneading and that kind of nurturing thing was just a sign of what was happening around us. You know, it wasn't, it's just so basic and something that you can see grow and and nurture that I can see why people turn to sourdough. The rest of the world was going mad. We had no idea what was happening. It was frightening. It was crazy. So I can see why people started, you know, I had friends saying, oh, I'm just between Zoom calls, like bankers, like my friends who are like serious, serious high-pressure bankers, which are just 
just between Zoom calls, I want to throw on a slow cooked leg of lamb. I'm like, it's Tuesday. And they're like, yeah, I know. But I've just, I've Bear with lunch. me. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, okay, you've changed. Who are you? So I often find the link of what's going to happen next in food actually comes from uh, bigger things than, than you know, um, the latest Japanese sake or whatever we're talking about. You know, beautiful finger limes here have gone into commercial plantations. So, you know, there's lots of that happening, but really the bigger force is what's happening around us. And I think that kind of, you know, as we're post-traumatic, the whole wellness thing and, and thinking about food differently and how it plays in our lives. And then the whole environmental thing on food just is just when you start digging down that hole, it's so steep from yeah. what packaging you buy. You know, when food actually affects the environment on every single tick point from how it's grown, what you're choosing to eat, are you eating meat, what packaging did you just bring home, how are you disposing of that, how much food are you throwing out? You know, that is like a a big, deep hole that you can fall yeah. down, um, but one that we'll have to address that, yeah. you know, as as someone like me who is um, always involved in some type of food, it's kind of, it's almost at the back, you know, it's here, right on my yeah. shoulder. It just won't leave at the moment that food is attached to so much of our environmental concerns and that's, that's something we need to address pretty quickly um, because is we that just touch on so much environmental damage when you look at the yeah. food chain is that something that's kind of worked its way into this next book um almost almost not I haven't figured out how to um how to present it in a positive manner because it can't when you when you dive yeah. down that hole of food packaging and waste it's a pretty depressing little subject so I don't like to depress you know to deliver sad news so how can I spin that into a positive and how can we get food suppliers to change their ways? You know, how do you walk yeah. into a supermarket and not be presented with all of your fruit and veg already prepackaged in plastic? Yeah, yeah. It's just a big thing that everybody's going to have to dig in and help do. So, yeah, um, yeah it's going to be all of us on board to do a big change. I'll be there waiting to do my job. Um, but, yeah, lots of things to do. I think this really nice thing that's happened to me is that I have all of these zero to sourdoughs have joined my tribe and that that would never have happened like we're talking about silver linings never ever have happened these people would have had no push to join me at all and start yeah. cooking so I have this huge new tribe numbers of people wanting to cook and and do crazy things around an all-time high which is fantastic I just feel this urgency to to fill in that gap between the zero to sourdough but it's it's been really great that we, I've been able to, you know, I've come from a highly polished series network background where a director's telling you, you know, oh, you just had a bit of a funny look on your face then. Hold on, cut, you know, do it again, new line. How so you rude. just become the, yes, exactly. That is my <laughs> funny face. I quite like it. Um, and so you become this highly polished, clipped, you know, edited version of yourself. Um, and under much scrutiny, you just become quite stiff and, you know, it's, it's network time. So last year, jumping onto Zoom and just going free for all, you know, humour, quick wit, just throwing yeah. it all in, live, <laughs> mistakes and all, off we go. It was kind of so refreshing for me. I love that. scary as all get out at first, like, because it went against everything I've ever been taught. But then getting all these people on board, thousands of people joining Zoom calls where we're teaching them, you know, how to make a little grazing party at home or what to cook for Christmas, like so many calls was just amazing. And to be in people's kitchens and lounge rooms like that connection was just sometimes a little bit overwhelming. I did yeah. some corporate Zooms with just really small groups of people. So we sent them out hampers. They're all ready to go and cook with me. And at one of them, I totally lost it, Anna. I was in sobs of tears. I had to leave what? the screen. Well, these little kids were showing me, don't, because I'll start crying again. You'll hear it in my voice all quiver. These little boys were cooking with their dad. The dad looked absolutely frazzled, and these were all C-suite managers. So he was like a CMO or CEO of a big company. It was a big Zoom call, only like 12 people in their families. Right. These little kids were holding up. I did some kind of family-friendly meals. Let's add a little bit of veg, and we made these crispy little taco cups. Fun for kids, really fun. Yeah. And um, 
these little kids were holding their fry pan so close to their dad's laptop and their computer. I thought this mixture was going to end up in the keyboard. But they were so excited and the dad was welling up in the back. And he was like, thank you so much. Thank you. Now I'm going to cry again. Thank you so much. And everyone on the call was almost crying. I'm having the best time. And they were so relieved that something had broken the monotony of trying to work, trying to homeschool your kids. And it just killed me having kids at home, um, you know, and and a son trying to finish his high school exams at the same time. So I had to pretend that I needed some more ingredients and I left the screen. And um, sort of got it together. But that kind of happened again and again. I was stopped in the supermarket car park all masked up and at the height of trying to find ingredients to finish my last book last year. And um, just people stopping me saying, oh, my goodness, thank you so much. You know, we cook this every christening, birthday, wedding. Like, you're so, we feel like you're part of our family. I, know I was going to say. No. Oh, my God. And I so I just got overwhelmed with this level of, as I said, I'm always, my brain is hardwired publishing that you, you always think next. And it kind of dawned on me that I just live in these people's lives and I have no idea that I did, you know. That's such of, a lovely way to so, think Yeah, about intertwined it. in their history. And it, it just all got very overwhelming and <laughs> very just, emotional. I think it is that incredible source of comfort that you can provide via a recipe, via food. It's just, I think that's, such an like amazing gift or like to be able to share that is just such a like it's such a impactful thing and and like you said it just like you know these small changes or these small parts of people's lives that you don't even realize you know that you're not physically part of but that's it's such a nice way to think of it like that you know zoom not doing network tv where no one can speak speak back to you um and being zoom it, it just opened up this whole new level of emotion and connection more than anything yeah. that you're you know that people are asking questions they're on the screen um so it was you know as frightening as it was at first that I had no hair and makeup I was no what you know like those big productions are just insane there's people for miles <laughs> um which I never liked anyway so there I was you know there's no hair and makeup there's I bought a mirror a makeup mirror on <laughs> online <laughs> um you know did my best kind of you know, cupcake makeup over the top and um, just rolled in. So it was really, you know, it, it kind of, for someone that's been in industry for so long, the, the huge pivotal change last year was just so refreshing for me as well. It's so nice to hear those positives that have come out yeah. of a really crazy time. I don't know if it was the same for you, but when I've done, I feel like I've also been really fortunate to be able to do those like live cook-alongs and and even some kind of corporate bits which have been a bit more kind of staged but still like it's it's still this really and I think it is the element of doing something like live but the most bonkers thing is that you are doing it live and and all of a sudden you've kind of you know you're rushing around you're making this you're pulling like you know I'd always give myself far too much to do and it's pasta and homemade pasta absolutely you know way too many things it's chaos you know people are right writing in and commenting and and then at the end you know you kind of present this meal and you've had this really like you know everyone's you've got friends on there it's all fun and you know very entertaining at the end you kind of present your meal and switch your computer off and then you kind of sit there and you're like where is everyone I really (laughs) had that sense of like you're so embroiled in like that moment in the chaos and then all of a sudden it's over and you're just kind of on your own and like my husband's just kind of there (laughs) in the kitchen I'm like where is everyone whole heap of mess that you've made as well all this mess that I've then got to tidy up and And my friends aren't here (laughs) yeah (laughs) I've had a glass of wine I'm ready for another (laughs) and no one's here to kind of share it with me so I think that was that's been the only kind of slightly obscure yeah side to this but it has been such a source of comfort to be able to connect with people during a time like an unthinkable time where we haven't been able to which has just yeah. been and um, you know last year I did I usually um, would travel for book tour for like two and a half weeks of crazy you know fly in fly out it just all becomes a blur live tv live to breakfast tv at five in the morning like it's just crazy and you just kind yeah. of hang on it's two and a half weeks. You know you can do it. It's just like a like an ultra marathon. And this year, my book tour went for three months, and I dipped in and out of the New York Food and Wine Fair. I was live on Saturday Kitchen on Saturday night in my hometown. Saturday morning, your time. <laughs> you know, like the, it just. I was on Dutch morning TV. Speak. You know, they're speaking Dutch. I clearly don't. 
it just so many crazy things happened that were so much fun as well. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it was almost a bonus being to, able to, because usually I wouldn't be able to, you know, I love doing Saturday Kitchen, but I wouldn't be able to be in New York at the same time. So you really have to choose which way that plane's going to go when you fly out of Sydney. Um, you know, <laughs> you can't do all Yeah. So it was, it was kind of a crazy year of all sorts of wake-up times to join people on network and, and on calls. It was really, yeah. Well, I feel like you look very fresh for 8 a.m. Really? It's 8 a.m. for you. Yeah, you look very yeah, fresh. It's 8 a.m. Yeah, this is this. I'm a bit of a morning summer. girl. Don't. I've got a Zoom call tonight, so let's hope I still look um, fresh tonight <laughs> when thousands of people are joining in. How many people are you cooking for, or kind of teaching this evening? We've had just under four thousand people register. So we'll see wow. who joins tonight. People forget and get really upset. Oh, I forgot. I didn't. Um, yeah, and then we try and tell them, as you know, an Australian Eastern Standard Time. So let's hope everybody <laughs> get. You know, like it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a mess sometimes. But I've I've done exactly what you would expect me to do, like you do. I have got way too much stuff to cram into an hour Zoom class. Um, my team nice. kind of field the questions so that they can get as many in as they can when I'm sort of mixing or have a little tiny second of downtime. So we try and really stay on those questions and keep it going because there's yeah. a flood of questions and then the chat always goes crazy. So, yeah, it'll be, it'll be a fun night. So fun. And what are you making? I'm making a, you know, that whole entertaining thing that we obviously don't take our own um, advice for. Uh-huh. I, I'm sort of... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm sort of doing something for Easter, for well, for entertaining where it's um, uh, spaghetti cooked in a paper bag with herb-crusted salmon. Ooh. And then you kind of can add wild arugula and chili and stuff to it. And the nice thing about that is that once you load it all up and you put it in the oven, you can kind of feed a crowd without having to try and serve everybody. Yeah. So, um. It's a really nice entertaining. It's in a cute little paper bag tied with strings. So it all looks pretty because you know that I love things to look beautiful. Um, so I'm going to teach people that because it's really, really simple, but it looks fantastic. So we always like that when we're having friends over. Yeah. I'm going to do some better for you hot cross buns, which has got a whole I've wheat flour and coconut chili. Yes. And then I've, this really you just posted orange this maple glaze. Yeah, we did. And they're they really look- fluffy and delicious. So, um, I'm going to head into the office and, and pop a batch on. And then I've got this really great no-fail, really no-fuss chocolate souffle. And you can make it ahead of a time and just throw it in the oven. So it's really those super impressive, um, you know, things that you can do when people are coming for dinner and make ahead of time, which you and I still have to master. But anyway, <laughs> let's hope. <laughs> I mean, at least we know that that's what you're supposed to we do. do. So we do. We're not in denial. Yeah. <laughs> I just like the personal challenge. I like the, you know. We are excited about us. Somehow it always, it it does come together. It does. But why do we put ourselves under that stress when clearly we do this for a job and we know better? (laughs) Is it like plumbers that have no tools at home and and leaking taps? Things like that. Exactly. I always put it down to. (laughs) Do you know what? I have watched quite a number of your recipe videos and I feel like you have this amazing and even and talking to you today is like such a pleasure but you have this amazing calm about you and I feel like is that kind of your day-to-day is that your natural disposition to just kind of approach everything kind of very calm and considered and oh well I think I've got that duck thing where I can sort of hold it calm on the top but be totally right. going because I'm not I can I Oh, maybe I am. Maybe that's a very Australian thing to do too. In my head, it doesn't feel so calm. There's a million things running through. But, you know, we, we're kind of genetically wired with that kind of laid back Australian attitude of everything will be fine. I love it. I honestly, I find it soothing. I love, I love watching recipe videos and I can literally, I am that person that's like, suggested this one next you're like oh yes please <laughs> it's kind of like oh well, I'm not sure yeah totally um also your so your book do you do you do I mean you don't do do you do any of your photography do you indulge in the photography side do you have a team that you work with repeatedly like you have such a clear aesthetic 
I always do the styling um, and that's something after closing the magazine that I get to do more of, which is part of the reason why I did to do what I love. Um, Look, I actually am at my dining room table and so I have the grid here of the new book and I scribble all over it and then I, Hannah, my designer, will print out a new one by the end of today. Um, and I just keep working and filling it in. I'm working with a, one of my old mag photographers whose sister is one of the girls I used to share petrol money with, um, Sabella Court, who's an interiors, really, really super creative interiors girl. And her younger brother still photographs with me. I, what I did as a stylist is I made sure I knew the ins and out of photography and the right. lighting of because you can't just come in blind and style and go, yeah, we'll take a nice photo of that because that's not how it works. You you have to be styling so your photographer can take a good photo. So sure. understanding lighting and um, what's really happening with their camera and their limitations I think is really super important. And that's yeah. just my nerdy technical side that I always have to deep dive into is yeah. that I always need to know the science of food or that, you know, that, the deep and nerdy issues doesn't mean I have to tell you about it in a recipe or write about it, but it just gives me comfort in knowing that I have that background information, that I'm not always flying blind. As you would think my casual Australian (laughs) personality is, I kind of deep dive into, okay, well, I can't pile up that side because that's where the light's coming from. You actually, there there is a technique to this whole thing. So I work closely with the guys that I you know, I work closely with a brother-sister video team because that's nice. It, you know, you do, if you, I grew up a really, really shy child. So to have your same team around you, especially a video team, is is like entertaining for your friends. So yeah. I kind of get over that. If I go to a new team like I did last Monday, I, I just felt all those feelings again of the shy little girl. So I do like to have a pretty semi-regular team around me of freelancers from photographers to video and then you know feeding them and sending them home food for their families and their kids to take to school the next day and things like that so yeah I think that whole thing that happens at home actually happens at the studio now that I think of it it's not too far removed yeah I'd like to be on that team (laughs) (laughs) that sounds like a great team to work on or work with I've got your book here which I think this is I actually loved it so much that I bought it for my mom as well um everyday fresh meals and minutes I love this book because you will take one dish and then you'll rework it so you can kind of have it three different ways and like the big salad bowl like the book itself is kind of very dark and moody but bizarrely doesn't actually feel dark and wintry it still feels kind of fresh and kind of bright and enticing and everything feels very kind of healthy and it's like such a beautiful book I I genuinely did buy this for my mum who loves cooking so she very much appreciated this but I feel like you have such a key like such a definitive aesthetic like how did you kind of nurture that or do you you know do you is there anyone that you are really inspired by or that you've kind of worked with or I just see things that I really, I wanted to do a dark book because there's something magical in texture and then because the food is so fresh and colourful, the dark bounces out all of that rich, rich colour of vegetables and things. So I purposely sent out then, um, I have a fireplace here, which of course we use for three weeks of the year. Um, But you know that lovely, the backgrounds in the book, you have that lovely black kind of open texture wood gets when you really burn it and then you yeah. find like the log the next morning. So I built a background and out in my driveway I started setting it alight and much to the delight of the local children that the crazy woman <laughs> lives in that house is making this huge fire in her driveway. So I started pouring accelerants on it. Don't worry, I had the hose, the garden hose nearby. I started pouring accelerants on this beautiful old wood, like a square background, and setting it alight until I had that really blackened, charred look about it. So I am still very much creating, like, the backgrounds, and I love that side of it. I know it sounds mad. People go, aren't you too busy to do that? But I think when you lose that, that's when you lose your craft. And and for me, it's like, well, what's the point? So I really loved that dark, dark, grainy texture that you can see in that book and that that I really wanted to showcase lots of fresh vegetables. And as it's called Everyday Fresh, you know, how simple it can be and how wonderful it can be. 
So, yeah, I do start from the backgrounds. I have started again on a crazy background project, which is not going so well. I have to rethink my creativity on that. But that's all right. It's, <laughs> we'll get there in the end, Anna. But, you know, the, the whole thing about making something and then turning it into three different things is kind of the way that my friends cook. They master one of my recipes. And then you hear their partner say, my gosh, if he cooks that one more time, seriously, <laughs> Like we can't even invite people over anymore because they know they're going to have the, you know, the chili salmon or whatever. they. So I think it's nice to, if someone really is proud of that recipe that they've mastered, to give them other options to kind of mix it up and and serve it a different way. So I think that's just a reflection of my crazy friends, that little chapter. That is just a very giving uh, friend indeed, isn't it? They've mastered one thing. You just want to enable them that just that tiny bit more just that they can kind of just keep running with that. Yeah, everything will be fine. Keep running with it. What does this book look like? What's the what's the premise for this one? Number 30. The premise, the background premise is that everybody's still cooking. We have these new, they're not even habits anymore. We have this new way of living Um, as much as everybody's free to roam around in Sydney where I live. Um, there's no restrictions anymore. Um, it, there's still that learnt behaviour, that cooking at home, that, you know, like it's it hasn't slowed. It's people have found this new comfort of being at home and this new joy of cooking and connecting with their family and friends and how great that is. So um, for me, it's just simplifying that. People have returned to work. Some people have decided that working from home works for them. So there's still that time pressure. You know, we still have lots of stuff we want to get through in our days. So how how am I going to nurture that passion for cooking and, and to keep it going and to keep, you know, people from turning to processed foods? How, how do I do? What role do I play there? And and how do we keep people excited about cooking? And, and how do I teach the zeros to sourdoughs that everything's going to be okay? I just need to fill in that huge gap for them but yeah so I <laughs> you send them all 29 previous books that's what well, they start with those to start from the beginning like people do <laughs> you crazies um no just some easy things but what a phenomenon Sourdough. Yeah. man if you could choose anything else you know you could always buy bread in Sydney like, there was no shortage <laughs> how did you think of that and then you have to feed this child in your fridge every day. Madness. Yeah. And then it would, then there was the, bi- the big thing about what you do with the kind of starter that you take out because then it was the kind of thing, well, you're wasting it every- when you're feeding it every day. You're getting rid of like crumpets. I don't think people have ever eaten so many carbs in their lives. <laughs> <laughs> that and wine. Just like bread and wine. Yeah, swine sales seemed to spike a fair bit, didn't they? <laughs> <laughs> and now I feel like everyone, like me included, everyone's trying to kind of get back on the straight and narrow, back on the healthy. Absolutely. Cutting out that bread. Now we've now we've all mastered it. Yeah. Do you want to talk about um being a food food editor at Marie Claire? Like that's an enormous role. How did you build that into kind of books and then your own magazine empire? Actually, that's a it's a kind of a really um fun story because I used to share a studio in um Woolamaloo, which is not um wasn't the safest, most um upmarket suburb in Sydney back in the day. I would have been twenty like early 20s. Um, it was a pretty rough neighbourhood. I shared a studio with four photographers from fashion to food to interiors. We just had this kind of collective of crazies that dropped by. It was fantastic. It was such a great um, collaborative space. It was just, you know, was as magical as it could get. And um, I was sitting on the ground one day of the studio with some big poly boards on the ground and I was sorting through some big Polaroid transfers, which is old school when you used to pull instant Polaroid film. Instead of letting it develop, you um, you pull it immediately and the bit with all the chemicals on it, you press it onto cotton paper and roll it and it makes this image on the cotton paper that looks like a master's painting. I've been fiddling around with that with one of the boys um, on a project and so I was sitting on the ground sorting through them because every single shot is different. So even though you're photographing the same crayfish tails or whatever we were doing, 
sometimes the chemical doesn't adhere to the paper. So it's very hit and miss. And I was going through them and I felt this woman standing behind me and she was very colourfully dressed and she had a very sharp bob and I looked up and I thought, wow, you're an interesting character. I have no idea who you are. Sydney is quite a small place. And she said, what are you doing? She started quizzing me and I thought, oh, you're really unusual in a really intriguing way. And I had no idea who she was. Anyway, she looked, she kind of came by the studio a couple of times because we had a higher studio next door to pay our rent, which fashion photographers loved because it had that charm of, it was just really falling down, but, you know, they loved it. Um, we painted it white. And when you paint white, you know, falling down things white, suddenly it's magical and charming. <laughs> um, and she ended up to be on the um, startup team for Marie Claire. She was the fashion director. And the editor at the time was like, okay, you have to look after the food recruit. I'm not interested in food. I don't know foodies. She was from a fashion background. She just come back from British L, I think, to start Marie Claire Australia. So Jane Rorty was her name. She was the fashion director, was one of the most incredible forces in my life, even though I was only freelance and had a spare desk at Marie Claire, I hardly spent any time there. But the time that I did spend with Jane after she offered me the job, just as a freelancer, was incredible. And there's people you meet in your life that are true creatives. They just have it. There's not many of them. There's lots of people that copy and borrow, and that's fine. But when you meet these enigmas, these unicorns of creativity, true creatives, they're mind-blowing and they stretch you and they shape you who you are and they make you see things differently and Jane was exactly like that and she was the most colorful character at the time she drove me absolutely bonkers so I would go for meetings with her I didn't realize how much she'd shaped my career until I looked back when she was always flying off somewhere because you know when you when you live in Australia you're born in Australia you have this weird genetic kind of um kind of just this DNA that allows you to travel um, <laughs> large distances and think it's all fine. Um, so she was always jetting off somewhere really exotic. Oh, I'm just off to Marrakesh, sweetie. And it was she was so <laughs> comical. And I would go and have a meeting with her and I'd say, Jane, Jane, I have to, and I travelled a lot back then as well. I was working a lot in the UK and in Europe. So I'd say to her, Jane, I have to photograph the next three issues I'm going to be away. And she'd look up and she'd say, hmm, Christmas is coming. Okay, look, Lagerfeld just done cruise collection, all white. Let's do white. I'd say to her, Jane, I can't do white Christmas. Like, not all the food's white. Oh, sweetie, you can make it white. You're so clever. And she'd just leave the room. And she would do things like that to me all the time. I'd go, oh, Easter's coming up. Let's do chocolate. And she'd go, no, anyone can do chocolate, Donna. You're way above that. I just think, I, no, everyone wants chocolate at Easter, Jane. You just don't get it. And she would go, oh, I just came back from, you know, Morocco and I think everything should be turmeric. And I'd just be like, oh, it's Easter. If that's not going to work. But she just, she showed me, which is what we were talking about before, she showed me not to look inside food for food inspiration. That's kind of a bit crazy. She would say the most craziest things to me that I just thought at the time were just so annoying and so irrelevant. <laughs> I'm curious. So did the did the white Christmas theme happen? Did you do yeah, the it white thing? Um, what, yeah, what the was white on it? Tell me. Everything white. Oh, I don't know. I think I poached a turkey breast and then I made like a white covered pudding and I don't know. Bread sauce. Bread sauce just, and everything. She just wouldn't leave it. Yeah. <laughs> she, she would come back it. and just be crazy. <laughs> you know, and especially in those days she was like, do, can you buy a tagine here? And I'm like, no, at one shop you can buy a ta like, and they're $700. <laughs> and she'd go, I think we should do a story. <laughs> and, <I'd be> like, <laughs> no. and no one will be able to kind of replicate yeah, this anywhere. It was all about accessibility. But her switch towards fashion and what I was talking about before about fashion is really reactive to what's happening in the world. You know, there's a bit of unrest, the whole Brexit thing. Everybody does jackets and comfortable and, and you know, like let's hold it together and tailoring became huge, you know, and then, of course, we locked down, we become cosy and, and everything falls apart so just like yeah. the world was. So fashion uh, gives you really good cues to, to what's happening instantly um, in, in the world. So she kind of put that together for me really quickly about 
how food trends would change so quickly. But she was so great. She was really, really just. It almost sounds kind of caricature, but like in a very amazing way. <laughs> it was. I, I, I really need to document what she used to say to me because I'm beginning to forget more and more of it. But she would just, Write it she down. would always bring it back to some show or some country she'd been to, you know, like she would, or spark, make everything sparkle. I just, I just got back from Italy, from Milan, and everything was silver. Make it shine. Like, make everything shine. That's like that silver leaf. You can eat that, can't you? You can. I know you can. I, I ate it in a restaurant in Blah. You can. Oh, it was crazy. It was so oh great. And she'd just disappear off into the fashion cupboard. And just, just, yeah, that would be that. Fantastic. Yeah, that would be that. Is there anyone that's really inspiring you now? Are there any chefs that you look up to or that you love eating at their restaurants? I love Jamie. We have the occasional chat um, over Jamie message. Oliver, I presume. Yeah, sorry, yes. Um, I love Jamie Oliver, I should say. <laughs> I don't know if there's another Jamie in the world that holds that title of, you know, being there's, the Jamie. But I just the I love, chef. yeah, I love the way he's kind of just casual and pulls everything apart like I like to. And he makes me feel very comfortable and in a way, I feel like he gives me the green light sometimes just to, you know, throw it all out the window and, that, you know, filming something with your kids on an iPhone is fine. And he's kind of, you know, he sort of sets the tone and leads the way for the rest of us. He kind of makes it all okay in a way. And he's so supportive and he is who he is. He's so real, you know. Yeah. Who, who you see on camera is who I see when the cameras turn off. There's no camera Jamie real life Jamie um and he's just really he's really supportive he's really he's so genuinely um lovely and honest he's really honest with me as well and I and I'm really honest with him and I think you know there's no industry club where we all get together and and download or have a big chat but Jamie's the one that, that will always tell you the the honest truth and you know he would say to you wow it's getting tough you know like you know the book industry is tough everything's really you know it's getting it's getting tight and we need to re-inspire people and there's so many things that he wants to tackle from a um you know from a global point of view and he does it so well you know he's not he's not he's not afraid to go and back something and and to really put his heart into it where, where there can be a lot of negative kind of scariness around it and backlash and he sort of just yeah, backlash. And I just love that he just dusts himself off and gets on with it again and again and again. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I find that really inspiring, you know. You just got to believe in yourself and back yourself and believe that you can change things slowly. You've just got to stick with it. Yeah, absolutely. Before we kind of finish up and talk about the kind of important things like sandwiches and, you know, condiments, that, that kind of thing, <laughs> um, just because you are the most incredible stylist, do you have any kind of little tips or hacks or tricks or noodle swirling or pasta nests or oh gosh, I any, am any like tricks? Are you, are you kind of boiling water and putting uh, cotton wool balls in turkeys and no, things like that? Never. <laughs> Are you okay? I'm trying to think of like I horrible. I, I did tricks. the pasta twirl when I first started styling, and it has haunted me ever since. So <laughs> that was a thing. So I still twirl my pasta. I mean, that's kind of a thing that everybody latched onto. That, you know, yeah. Wow, the pasta twirl. I actually did it on a TV show with Martha, like when I was 26 or something, like so many years ago, um, and it sort of stuck with me. But you know, that for to. I always say to people, I feel like I'm cheating as a food stylist in Australia because the produce is so fresh. And I don't mean yeah. to rub your nose in it, but it's just, you know, it's just that we don't import a, a lot of things. You know, with the yeah. breadth of the country, you know, one part of the country is in summer, the other one's cold. So we have this really extended seasons. We don't have to import much at all. And, you know, the the freshness is incredible, really incredible. So I always think that I'm kind of cheating, but my styling I know how hard it is to start <laughs> when I come to the UK and you know I'm sort of like wow that basil in this plastic packet are you kidding like how do we revive this but I just <laughs> use big bowls of cold water and you know make sure everything's really fresh I don't I have a water sprayer on set and sometimes a paintbrush with a little bit of oil 
but that's about it. Everybody eats the food. I kind of feed my building at the moment um, at the office and, and friends that drop by and then are taking their dogs for a walk after work. And, yeah, I don't have any tricks. I just think that food looks the best when it's fresh. You know, when a, when a plate comes out of a kitchen in a restaurant and they put it in front of you, that's when it looks amazing, when it's yeah. fresh and it's, you know, it's just been cooked. So because I photograph everything in daylight, I just try and be really super quick and have everything looking really fresh and crisp and lively and crunchy and lovely. So, yeah, I don't have any of those other. I did when I used to work on TV commercials and advertising. We were always tricking things up. But, um, with it, you know, I'm not waiting for big film crews and lighting crews and stuff. So it's really easy just to be quick and yeah. get out your and little water. And it's all about the natural spanner. lighting. I always feel like. Absolutely. Natural light, no overhead lights. As I lights. blind you with the window behind me. We had one day of sunshine today. We, I think we hit 22 degrees and everyone everywhere, it was like, the, it was like everyone. It does lift just, your spirits, doesn't it? Oh my goodness, it really does. So uh, within every uh, episode of The Filling, we also um, like to talk about, and if I was with you, I would really hope you would make me um, your most amazing sandwich. But I feel like it's a real common... Oh, I would. But, you know, it would take us like five hours, I think, <laughs> just to decide and for me to make you a sandwich. But anyway, that would decide yeah. the point. <laughs> but then you'd pull it out of the bag, very last minute, yeah. completely delicious. Exactly. What is your, what's in your go-to sandwich? I feel like it's such a common kind of leveler for us all. We can all handle a sandwich. So, I mean, but for you, you could, I imagine, can really handle a sandwich. What's the, what's your go-to my sandwich is layers of condiments. Great. And but filled with lots of fresh veg usually. So some arugula, like some lots of crunch and I love fresh things like cucumber and arugula and but I like the rocket. pepperiness matched with the yeah, rocket. So I have rocket <laughs> and cucumber and then maybe some I actually I'm big condiment girl, so I might have some pickled like quick pickled, not traditionally pickled, quick pickled carrot or cabbage or something in the mm. fridge. That's my go-to because you've got to have something pickled um, to go with anything. Yes. And then I like to layer up my condiments, but I, but I do like to take it as a journey, like a passport. Okay. So it's a bit unconventional, which I'm allowed to do in the spirit of recipe testing. Can I get away with it like that? You can get away with it anyway. Because <laughs> there might be away. a bit of leftover miso mayonnaise. Oh, Yeah which is not like going on a trip to Japan. The miso just adds a really lovely saltiness and you know, that terrible fruity wordy marmy to the mayo. And then the pickled kind of veg and then some creamy avocado. I love a crunchy seed in yes. my salad sandwich as well. Probably some caramelized onion marmalade will be in the back of the fridge. Yeah. And then I probably will add something zingy as well like a mustard yeah but I don't just do that on the bread I do it between the layers as well so that's the key oh, okay yeah, yeah don't just think condiments go on both sides on of the, the bread, bread. You're cutting your condiments short right. if you're a lover of the condiments you can go a couple of levels a regular carrot new condiment <laughs> aged, cheddar. <laughs> aged cheddar cucumber another condiment yeah okay and, and the condiment kind of sticks it all together so what you end up with is a sandwich bigger than your face yes. but the condiments are like glue, the, the glue. Yeah, yeah the glue and that's what you need because no one wants to look like a pig you don't want to have it falling all over yourself you still want to look like a lady <laughs> but i just think to limit yourself to a condiment possibly two on either side of bread is a missed opportunity anna a real missed opportunity do you know what I'm and really going to take that through, away? They all zing, you know, like you, it's like mystery bites. You just don't yeah. know what you're going to get next. I'm loving this so much because I'm all of a sudden cr like critiquing my own sandwich making, being like, have I been getting this wrong? I don't like, know if you've been getting it wrong, but I don't want you to miss out, Anna, because I don't know about you. I'm a, I'm a condiment buyer. I got given a lot Same. of condiments. My son likes to make smoky tomato chutney. Whole new story. And so there's a green tahini I've made that's left over from a salad or something. So I, w I kind of use them up and the, and the salad sandwich is the perfect opportunity because salad sandwiches can be dull as all get out. Don't think that there's rule. I know you know there's no rules to sandwiches, but people seem to think there's rules on condiments, but there's not. No. And how, what's your take on um, butter? butter? Oh, see, 
I think butter is for enjoying butter and bread, but butter takes up a condiment space and it makes it slippery. Right. Okay. Oh God. Now my mind is like, now I don't know where I'm going. Do I do butter or do I do green tahini? I don't know. And like, I would choose the green tahini because there's so much in there that I want another condiment. But if I had a friend that was doing zero to sourdough, I would just have the sourdough and butter. And maybe some extra salt. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Just to round it off because they did go to all that trouble of making it. Yeah, so I'm all about the (laughs) condiment. Tell you, layer up those condiments. And in terms of your fridge, now now I know that you are the condiment queen. What's the like top three condiments in your fridge? I imagine your fridge now is packed full of condiments, as is mine. I have- the top shelf is packed with condiments, the whole top yeah. shelf, Yes, which is sometimes problematic. Right now, I have some cabbage and cucumbers with seaweed that's in just a light rice wine pickle Ooh. that I'll bring out at any opportunity. <laughs> I've got my son's smoky tomato chutney. Which just goes with anything. That's really delicious. And then um, I've kind of on a bit of a tahini phase at the moment. So I either do tahini with lemon, tahini yogurt and lemon and honey, green tahini, which is tahini with lots of coriander and basil and flat parsley through it. So anything with tahini at the moment, just on such a tahini trajectory, it's (laughs) insane. Um, (laughs) The next book is actually just you doing tahini. Well, I know. That's what I have to do. I I, I start <laughs> writing everything where I'm like, okay, pull that back. No more tahini. So I'm tahini. on a tahini limiting plan at the moment. <laughs> um, yeah, so that that's the condiment shelf. Besides all the starter things like, you know, miso and um, pickled ginger. Gosh, pickled ginger on Delicious. a sandwich. So zingy. Yum. <laughs> Making me really hungry, Anna. <laughs> Same. And I've had my dinner. <laughs> I mean, I feel like we've thoroughly covered this the sandwich making. Um, Good. And I will really go and discuss this in depth with my husband now because I am concerned that I've not been adding enough condiments in the right way um, when making sandwiches because... Well, there's Maybe. there's no rules. If you're not a condiment person, it's fine. But I just I think am, that- I am. I just I'm worried now that I've you know there's been room. There's been a missed opportunity. I've been making. I think I've been making great sandwiches, but perhaps there's been room for extra condiments that I've not been taking advantage of. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like you to report back. Do you have oh, a sandwich well. book, Anna? Is this where <laughs> no, this is all leading to? Because I feel like your book the is going to be there. yeah the best sandwiches. <laughs> guide to the best sandwiches around the world around the globe starting with you and all the tahini and (laughs) (laughs) it'll be like the intro to the book food styling that it would be horrible sandwiches are really hard to shoot i think (laughs) but i think the introduction would have to be by yourself of in fact the right way to layer a sandwich so that everything is stuck together because i think that's together potentially something i've missed a trick with wow so thank you you always want to eat your sandwich like a lady, even if you're not. <laughs> well, very rarely am I. <laughs> but yeah, this has been so lovely. I'm so appreciative that you Thanks, took Anna. time out for me. It's been good fun. Have a, such a lovely day and thank you so, so thank much. Thank you. Thanks Take so much, care. Emma. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining me this week on The Filling. You can follow me at Anna Barnett Cooks on Instagram for exclusive visuals of my guests' fabulous kitchens and for the recipe to recreate their go-to sandwiches. And of course, subscribe to The Filling on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. The music for today's podcast was recorded by Pony Bones. <laughs>